welcome to the GoTo Podcast. Each episode covers the brightest and boldest ideas from the world's leading experts in software development. Tune in for practical lessons, compelling theories, and plenty of inspiration. GoTo gathers the brightest minds in the software community to help developers tackle projects today, plan for tomorrow, and create a better future. Stay up to date with the latest in tech through GoTo's top-rated events held online and in person in cities like Amsterdam, London, Copenhagen, and Chicago, and by subscribing to the GoTo Conference's YouTube channel, where you can find thousands more high-quality dev talks. Learn more at gotopia.tech. Hello, my name is Anne Curry, and uh, I will be giving you your uh, your quick ten minute introduction to uh, to our, my new book today. Uh, this is the third podcast in the series on um, the book Building Green Software, which has just becoming just been published as we or pre published early release published on the O'Reilly website. So, uh, so my name is Anne Curry. I have been. Um, in the tech industry for nearly 30 years now, which is quite, quite germane to the topic we'll be talking about today. Um, uh, and I'm all, uh, part of the leadership team of the um, Green Software Foundation, which is a, a Linux foundation for, for being greener in tech and, and managing the energy transition. But here today, I'm here to talk about um, the book that I have, uh, I'm currently in the process of writing along with my two, two co-authors, Sarah Bergman of Microsoft, who you will have heard in the last podcast, and uh, Sarah Sue, uh, SRE at Goldman Sachs, who you will hopefully hear in, a, in one of our future podcasts. But today I'm here to talk about the, uh, the latest uh, section that we've released, which is chapter two of the book, um, Code Efficiency. Now, the question that we need to be asking ourselves today and, and in the talk today is, is code efficiency the key to being green uh, and, and to have efficient and, and um, uh, energy transition aware software? And the trouble is, it's quite a controversial, a controversial question and a very controversial answer, I'll put it to you. Everybody's been really looking forward to the code efficiency chapter, and I know why, because we kind of think code efficiency is absolutely fundamental to, um, to cutting down the amount of energy and electricity used by software as it runs. And um, so I got into uh, the green software about seven years ago now, seven or eight years ago now, and it was entirely based on code efficiency. So my back, background, and obviously I've been in the second for a long time now, since the early 90s. And um, back then, code had to be really efficient because machines were about a thousand times less uh, effective than they are today, but about a thousand times less good in terms of um, CPU, storage, uh, speed of bandwidth, bandwidth availability, and cost. Um, but 30 years, exponential growth really pays off. 30 years of um, Moore's law improvements in hardware and computing hardware have meant that we are about a thousand times better now than we were then. And, and remember, this is these are all changes that happen within one career. It's not the end of my career. I'm not intending on retiring tomorrow. During my career, Without completely spanning my career, we've seen a thousandfold increase in um, in the 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 ultimate thing we all run on, which is hardware. 
So, so my interest in, in green software came from the fact that 30 years ago, we had to be a lot more efficient in the way that we coded because we had so much, so much um, lower amounts of um, resources, worse resources to run on. And we used to do a, a lot of things I was extremely familiar with because I used to do them myself to, to get that, uh, that increased efficiency. We used to use um, very low level languages. So I was a C developer, C server side developer in those days. Um, so you're looking at uh, languages that are compiled, uh, that run directly on the, uh, without any kind of intermediation um, uh, on the hardware. And, and the, what that means is that you've got a lot fewer CPU steps per operation that's made. Um, and yeah, you can run stuff today that, that uh, on a machine nowadays, it's, it's unbelievable. We, we have nothing like this. And also their, their bandwidth as well. We had nothing like bandwidth was available now. And my original thought on being green was, okay, we can do all of those things again. We can go back to using the same modern equivalents of, of highly productive languages, which um, Rust is, is more popular these days. And, and rightly so, it's a lot, it's a lot safer than C or C++. Um, but there are, but it is an equivalent language that's, that's not compiled and that is running um, directly on the, on the hardware. Uh, and it's extremely efficient as well as being a, a lot more, a lot safer, um, than, than C was. But fundamentally, it's the same concept. You've got a fast, very lightweight language running, uh, and you use it to, to write clever code that does, that, that kind of accommodates its own multi-threading. So one of the things that we, we that's, that's very important is, uh, effective multi-tenancy if you want to write very efficient code. Um, and back in those days, we used to do it by writing monolith, but actually we didn't, even back then we didn't really write monoliths. We wrote, um, uh, we wrote something that would be analogous these days to, um, microservices, not quite, not as tiny as, as modern microservices are, like meteor microservices. So you had a, a fair amount of, uh, you had a distributed system, but it wasn't quite as small as, as microservices. But it wasn't as monolithic as a, as a monolith. Uh, and the reason why is, is because you wanted to try to emulate multi-tenancy. So something that happens these days in, uh, data centers, if you're in the cloud, something like that, you will, you will be using VMs or even containers to, um, to, to, to get multi-tenancy. So, so you've got multiple different, um, Clients running multiple different systems systems on top of the same hardware, uh, and the reason why that is good is that you'll have some things that do that, that are currently quiet and other things that are busy, and you can uh, by sharing the same hardware and and being careful about how you balance up. So what's what's running on that hardware? You can aim to get really really good machine utilization. And back in those days, machine utilization was absolutely key. We had such rubbish machines. We needed to, to make sure that they weren't ever sitting around waiting on uh, operating system calls, for example. We needed, we had kind of feigned multi-tenancy that came with multi-thread. It was great. It worked really, really well. I mean, it really was a thousand times better than what we get these days. And, and my original thought was, if, if we had a thousand times more efficiency in data centers these days, then, then they, 
then the software industry would be um, uh, would be a leader in uh, in the energy transition. We would be we wouldn't be moving the, the dial when it came to using electricity. These days, we're about the same as most other other industries. We use about in data centers, we use about two to three percent of um, uh, of the electricity of, of used used on the planet across across all sectors. But if you if you factor in hardware and end user devices, we're more like twelve or um, 10 to 12 percent according to Greenpeace. Uh, but if we just look at data centers, then um, if we could drop that a thousand fold, then we're out. We don't need to worry about it anymore. We're, we're completely done. So my original thoughts, the original reason why I got into green was from my background in code efficiency. But, but we're not in the world that we were in 30 years ago. We are in a very, very different world. And um, I went in, you know, all guns blazing on um, on green software, although we didn't call it green software. I didn't call it green software back then. I called it uh, sustainable software or um, coding for the uh, energy transition, which is, which is not what I'm allowed to call the book because, frankly, it's not very catchy, is it? Um, but uh, it, it's all the same, same idea. How do we code in a green, sustainable way that's energy efficient, energy transition aware? And I was thinking, great, what we'll do is we'll write everything in C. And, and then I started to do some, some work with customers, some work with businesses, some work with uh, engineers about what people actually wanted to do and what was likely to land as a message. And the trouble is, that rewriting everything in C or rewriting everything in um, uh, in a multi-threaded um, kind of uh, somewhere between a microservice and a monolithic way, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. Back in the, in, in the 90s, it used to take us ages to do anything. And it was very hard to change software. It's really hard to evolve software. Um, and most, most of the thousandfold increase in machine productivity between then and now, when not into making everything run faster on smaller and smaller machines. You, you know full well that isn't what we did with it. What we did with it instead is we improved developer productivity. So we put in loads of layers, isolation layers that made it easier as a developer, but not just made our lives easier, it made it faster, it made it safer, it made it more secure if, you all, if you're using it all correctly. Um, and that, that wasn't crazy. You know, because actually the world has become different in the past 30 years. Expectations are very high that we, uh, we move faster. We do iterate. We do get product features out in minutes, not years, as it used to be in the early 90s. And nobody wants to go back to that world. So if you start selling code efficiency to your business or more generally, you're going to run into that straight away. That nobody quite rightly wants to go back to that world. A lot of those things didn't really scale in the way that we need these days. Uh, it couldn't be made secure in the way that we need these days, and it couldn't react and get better and evolve these uh, in those days in the, in the way that it can that it can now. So we need code efficiency, but we also need to keep all of those improvements that we got in the past thirty years. If we if we don't get both, we're never going to sell code efficiency. You're, you're never going to sell code efficiency to your business if it's like, oh yeah, but we'll we'll massively. Um, slow down our development cycles because you go out of business. So it, we've got to find a way of squaring that and getting both of them at once. And um, I'm very sad 
because I really went into this in the hope that I could just tell everybody to rewrite everything in C and we'd, and we'd be done. And a lot of people want to hear that. You know, we all, there's loads of us out there who would really lovely, love to rewrite all our code in C. But um, for the more sane amongst us, because <laughs> don't, we don't want to go back to that world, um, much as I enjoyed it in the time I was much younger. Um, that's not the world that we can go back to. We need to be secure. We need to be fast. So we need to find a way of both getting, but code efficiency is still really important. So how do we do both? How do we get that thousand fold increase in productivity, in machine productivity without taking a thousand fold decrease in developer productivity? We have to, we have to align those two. Uh, and the more I've been looking into it, the more that, um, my co-authors, um, and I have been looking into it. The more we've been thinking, we need to we need to align it with with open source, the cloud, and um, modern services. Um, it's it really when we come when it comes to machine to code efficiency, we need to make this a buy or a select uh, choice rather than a build choice. Because if we can buy or select, push our suppliers to to create. Um, efficient software, we could just buy it and they can keep uh, improving it under, under their feet. Because it, it, although it's, it's massively bad for developer productivity, it doesn't matter, that doesn't matter so much if you're selling code that's going to thousands and thousands of users. It's worth putting in that investment to get efficient code. So as a customer, which we all more, more or less are, I'm, just, I'm thinking that most of the, the folk who are Listening in on this call to, uh, on this podcast today will be produce, will be consumers more than producers. Um, when producers, I'm talking about people who have thousands or hopefully millions of users, but multi-million end users fundamentally of the soft, of the underlying software that we need to make efficient. And if that is the case, then it's really well worth your while putting in the time and energy to make that code efficient. And it is, it does require enormous amounts of time and energy. And as a consumer, which we are here at this point, uh, if we can be putting pressure on our suppliers to put that work in, then we get so much more bang for our buck. So, so for example, it's an example, even if, even, and this is, and I, mo most of us, it's not worth rewriting your code in Rust or Go, because even doing that is a hell of a lot of work. And, and, and these days, often quite unnecessary. The compiler, compi the Python compiler, now, there are now compilers for Python available that will compile your Python down to C or even machine code. So there are people at the platform level who are working on making it so you don't have to rewrite your code in C or um, Rust in order to make it efficient. You can keep using these uh, high-level, relatively easy-to-use languages where you get great developer productivity but still get the um the code efficiency improvements. But what you need to be doing is picking those platforms that are moving in that direction and where you can just rely on and lean on the platform to develop the code efficiency for you. So for example, say, say you're, you, you really, say you're somebody who does choose to, uh, to write, uh, Go code, which is a re relatively, which is really quite an efficient language. It's not quite as good as C, but it's, it, they're all rust, but it's, it's really quite an efficient language. Even if you choose that, you're better off putting pressure on the, uh, the, the engineers behind Go, the community behind Go to make sure that it is efficient. So for example, you can write as efficient 
Go as you like, but if the standard libraries uh, in Go are inefficient, then you've wasted your time. You're much better off putting pressure on the Go develop on the uh, Go community to make sure that the standard libraries are efficient, so that what you write on top is inherits that efficiency. That is a much much more um, that's an effect. That's uh, an action that moves the dial when it comes to being green. Just um, writing your code in Go without putting pressure on the platform, the environment that you're working in to be green under your feet and to continue to make it green under your feet is a much less effective action. It's, it's, it's the whole thing about, you know, if you want to go vegan, that's totally fine, but it's not going to change the world unless you are some kind of massive influencer who's going to make a million people go vegan. Then great, you know, fill your boots, go green, go, go vegan. There's no problem with that. But if you just do it on your own, it's really, it makes you feel better. That it doesn't, doesn't change the world. It isn't going to get us where we need to be. What we need to be looking at is actions that are going to affect thousands of people. And, and in the software industry, the actions that are going to affect thousands of people are where we persuade our suppliers to be greener, not where generally where we are greener ourselves, unless we are a supplier, in which case, yeah, definitely go green. But if you're not, uh, a large scale supplier of um, software industry code, where you need to be putting your pressure on is on your suppliers. And, and it's easy. It's easy, so much easier than rewriting your code in, in C, I can show you is that get on the phone to your AWS supplier or whoever whoever you're getting your platforms from and say, I really care about this. What are you doing? How are you doing? This is, this is how I'm going to be making my platform decisions in the future. Yes, I want to see action. I want to see commitment. Um, that's, that's how you move things. That's how you change things. And I really wish it wasn't the case. I really wish I could say, I could be saying, go rewrite all your code. Um, because, um, I love that kind of thing. And that's, that is, you know, it gives me a flashback to my youth. But unfortunately, that is not really the way that we're going to change things. Um, we really, really need to be putting pressure on as consumers, as supply, as, as, as users of software rather than uh, rebuilding all our code. So the chapter, uh, I, I really enjoyed the chapter. I really enjoyed writing this chapter of uh, building green software. Although for me, it was heartbreaking. <laughs> I, enjoyed, I enjoyed writing it. It forced me to, to rethink all my, um, my inbuilt desire to, to, to go back to those days of um, multi-threading and um, for really, really, really difficult to write um, uh, languages that were close to close to the operating system. I, mean, I used to debug assembler back in those days. Just don't do it. It takes ages. It takes ages, and you will get fired. <laughs> so we need to we need to um, to find you a way of working that is less that is both more effective. Um, good for your business and less likely to get, to, to, to get you fired, which is don't rewrite all your code in C. Slow, slows everything, even Rust slows everything down massively, unless you are actually writing open source software that you expect to be used mass on a massive scale. Oh, um, even if you do, interestingly, two of the examples that came out when I was researching this chapter were from somebody who had tons of money, was expecting massive scale, uh, and um, still didn't do the optimization until really late on in the day. 
Uh, and I think this really tells you quite a lot. So one example is um, you'll have heard uh, earlier this year, there was a lot of fuss over um, it, it coming out that um, Amazon Prime Video used to run on serverless, uh, but has been now moved to something which is more more like quite like the description that I was just giving about you. It's not full microservices. It's not a monolith. It's somewhere a little bit in between. It's like we used to do when you were writing your own code that was kind of essentially uh, provided your own multi-tenancy by using multi-threading and, and a moderate degree of microservice and, and distributed systems. Um, and they did that and they, and they said, oh, well, this is great. Now, now that we know that Amazon Prime Video is massively successful and needs incredible scale. We're willing to put this investment in to do this. And everybody went, oh, serverless is terrible because it's, you know, they, uh, they've had to move away from serverless to get massive, massive, massive multi-tenancy in massive scale. And yeah, you will probably, but still they had huge amounts of money to throw at it and they still didn't start on that. They started using serverless, which is which is a pretty decent way of getting multi-tenancy without having to put an enormous amounts of a, a personal <laughs> engineering efforts into doing Amazon with something that they were absolutely betting on and had been betting on for years, didn't start by being super efficient. They started by concentrating on developer productivity, which is serverless, and then saying, well, that was good enough to get to what to this stage, and then we'll do the actual investment, which was similar to what we used to do in the 90s, to get to the next stage, but not until this year, <laughs> which is amazing. Isn't it? The other example is um, Teams, Microsoft Teams during the pandemic. They um, moved over to, um, uh, they, they, they absolutely needed to, to um, they needed more machines, but they couldn't get their hands on more machines. So they decided, oh, well, how can we free up some of the wasted resource in our existing system? So they started to do quite a lot of the stuff that we used to do during the 90s. So uh, rather than having, for example, storing all their data in text, oh, text, we'd never have used text in the 90s, uh, in, in, uh, in data in their databases, they moved over to binary encoding. Um, and uh, that was what we used to do. We used to do everything was binary. It was awful. <laughs> it was impossible to debug everything. We all got quite used to being able to just read binary encoded coded messages. But anyway, um, thank goodness those days are gone. But anyways, Microsoft now, those days are back. They have gone back to using binary encoding to store data so that they need much, much less hardware to store the data that they're, that they're saving. And they had to. They were forced to do it because they... You know, teams were going bananas and they just didn't have the hardware to do it. It was, it was like being back in the 90s. And apparently it was terrible. <laughs> it was a really unpleasant experience. But they did achieve it. It can be done. But even Microsoft and Google and, and um, Amazon on products that they had been betting on for years and had enormous scale, they didn't do this, this investment until quite late on. And I think that's, that's, it breaks my heart. But fundamentally, it is the lesson we need to be turning, taking away from this. How do we do green? How do we do code efficiency without having to do those things ourselves? And the answer is we need to buy it. We need to put the pressure on our suppliers to give it to us. Uh, whether those suppliers are Amazon, it's very easy to put pressure on Amazon. Just talk to the, your, your Amazon um, uh, rep. Same with Azure, actually. Talk to your Azure rep. 
um, open source communities start raising uh, issues, start saying, well, how do I measure this? Is this good enough? Um, are these libraries good enough? Are these standard libraries good enough? That's the first thing to be te testing. And, and really, it's a good measurement. Our last chapter was on measurements, but one of the easiest ways to just do some quick measurements on a uh, whether a, a standard library is good enough is just straight up performance. Uh, is it fast enough? Is it fast or is it slow? Um, if it's slow, raise a bug about it because we absolutely need these things to be, these underlying technologies, these platforms to be code efficient. And that, that is where, unfortunately, we need to be putting our, our pressure, uh, our, um, our, uh, our attention and, and applying our pressure. Now, if you want actual things that you can do, the build part of buy and build, uh, that will be not in the next chapter that's coming out, but in the chapter after that, operational efficiency. Because uh, when it comes to operational efficiency, there's tons of stuff that you need to do yourself to improve efficiency. But code efficiency, really, unless you are a platform, you need to be putting pressure on platforms. So um, I know I feel sad. I would really have liked it if I'd just been able to tell you about how to, you know, tune your for loops better. But really, the answer is don't tune your for loops better. Just uh, put pressure on your um, suppliers to improve the, um, uh, the your compilers so that your code will be automatically tuned under your feet. And then just you write your code in a way that is compliant. Is is it how your platform expects? and at what your, um, uh, what your compiler will be, will be optimizing based on what we'll, we'll be optimizing optimally, if you know what I mean. So uh, I'm sure that I will be back and speaking to you again about the operational efficiency of the month's time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GoTo Podcast. Head over to gotopia.tech to discover lots more content from the brightest minds in software development.